Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and we are continuing our NBA Draft Prospect Preview Series. If you missed it last week, my guy Aaron Torres and I, we deb- uh, we sat down and we spoke about Victor Wembanyama and him being the likely number one overall pick to the San Antonio Spurs. We actually recorded right after the draft lottery, so we spoke a lot about Victor and where he will fit in in San Antonio in the future, the Spurs, they ended up winning it. And today we're going to talk about the team with the number two overall pick and the very difficult decision they have to make. That is the Charlotte Hornets. And we're going to get into all of that. And Aaron is back with me today to break it all down. He is the founder of Aaron Torres Media, the host of the Aaron Torres podcast. AT, thank you so much for joining me. What's going on? Zach, my pleasure, man. Uh, It was fun doing the first one. It was funny that we got to the very end and I was like, you know, we did really just talk about it as if it's a done deal. I was like, is there any chance that one Banyama doesn't go number one or that the Spurs trade the pick or go in another direction? Uh, I don't think they will, but it kind of struck me in like the last five minutes. We were just talking about it as a certainty. I think it'll end up being, but then it obviously leads to today's conversation, which is who ends up going number two, which obviously it kind of goes without saying. I think that's where the draft really starts. Absolutely. And that's one thing also I find like really cool about the draft. I I think, yeah, I did bring this up to you right at the end of the podcast last week was like last year, no one except for maybe you, even though you always thought it deep down, thought that uh, Paolo Boncaro was going to go number one overall to the Magic. Everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be Jabari Smith. It might be Chet Holmgren. And we saw a little bit of a shift last year. And I definitely think probably after the number one overall pick, that uh, situation could come up again. I'm sure we're going to see a ton of reports uh, in the next few weeks leading up to the draft about what exactly the Hornets want to do. But the two main prospects that when you talk to most NBA draft experts, they're going to be debating towards, it is either going to be Brandon Miller from Alabama or Scoot Henderson from the NBA G League. And right off the bat, I think this is a really fascinating question. We're going to be breaking it all down for you guys today. What exactly should the Hornets do? We're going to get into each of these prospects, their strengths and weaknesses, and we're going to end the show with a very interesting question, kind of differentiating two separate questions of what should the Hornets do, what is best for their team, and just overall, off the bat, who is the second best player in this draft? And I think those two questions are interesting because there could be two separate answers. But I'm going to start off with Scoot Henderson because I think it's interesting also In today's NBA draft, unlike some of the drafts of the past, there are for these top uh, high school players, college players that are coming into the league, they have many different options in terms of their path to get there. They could play college basketball, which is really the more common path. But as time goes on, we see more players with more options making the decisions they think are best for them, whether it's the NBA G League, like Scoot Henderson, uh, he went. You also have the Thompson Twins. We're going to preview them a little bit later in this series. Like, they're probably both going to be top 10 picks. They came from overtime elite. You also have players like Victor Wembanyama playing international. It is interesting that there are just so many different paths for these players to come into the NBA. And I feel like as a general manager, that 
may make your decision in terms of who you're taking a little bit harder because you have to really focus and evaluate the level of competition and how different it is within each prospect and where they're playing. Thousand percent. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I've said this on my show a few times is that, um, you know, I'm a college hoops guy. I love college hoops, but I'm never going to begrudge somebody for choosing an alternative route. Um, I think it's important to note the one and done rule is not an NCAA rule. It is an NBA rule. Um, I think the NCAA in many cases maybe would like to eliminate the one and done rule, or maybe they would have in the past. I think now they're kind of at peace with it. But so whenever somebody chooses an alternative route, um, and by the way, like a European player playing in Europe, I wouldn't consider alternative, but I do agree with you. G League Ignite, Overtime Elite, I'm never going to criticize them. Um, you know, I've said it many times on my show, G League Ignite, the guy who runs the program is a guy named Jason Hart, played in the NBA for 10 years, was a lead assistant at USC, which is right down the road from where I live. Uh, and I think Jay Hart is a great, great, great basketball mind. Um, I have no idea if he wants to get back into the college game, but I thought he was long overdue to be a head coach at the college level. So, um, former NBA player played in the league, developed a bunch of great players at the college level. I, I know you, you love, uh, staying up late and watching Pac 12 basketball, Zach, but Chemezi Metu, Jordan McLaughlin, uh, De- uh, what's his name? DeAnthony Melton. You go on and on down the list. They, they put a lot of guys in the league over the last couple of years. And Jason Hart, who now runs G League Ignite, is a big part of that. Overtime Elite, it's a little bit newer. It's a little bit of a different setup. Um, but listen, you know, it's, it's an educational thing mixed with a basketball thing. That's fine. Um, but I do think it also sets up some very interesting, um, dynamics at play when you are evaluating those players. Obviously, G, G League Ignite, you are sometimes not always playing against older players. That's obviously a factor. I think that's what makes Scoot Henderson so appealing is that he did what he did in often cases playing against older, more experienced players. At the same time, there, 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 you know, there's give and take with everything, you know, the, how competitive, you know, I had somebody tell me this about some of these programs is their developmental programs. It's not necessarily about winning. Um, and is that at all a concern? At, you know, if you're a lottery team picking at the bottom of the draft and it's like, okay, this guy's kind of been in a system that isn't prioritizing winning. Is that a kind of guy you want to bring to an organization that probably in theory is losing, um, which is why they're in the position that they're in in the first place. So there's a lot of variables that go into it. There's some positives, a ton of positives, um, but there's also some negatives as well. Um, and I think more than ever, you know, you, you kind of have to weigh who the player is, where they were playing, but who the individual is and how will that individual fit uh, in whatever you're trying to do with them, whatever team you you happen to be with. That's a really good point. And it's funny. I just mentioned um, that, okay, maybe we start with Scoop. But off that point, I wanted to talk about Brandon Miller. I think that's mm-hmm. very important with him, like the fit and where he ends up. Because I think the thing that makes this debate so interesting to me is I think Brandon Miller has the higher ceiling. Like if he works out, we all know the NBA is like a wings league. And those are the guys that everyone around the league wants. He averaged 18 and eight this past season at Alabama. He's multidimensional. And I feel like when you look at his game, he never really is rattled. Like I feel like every shot he takes was in rhythm and he didn't really interfere with any of the team's offense and what exactly Nate Oates wanted to run. I think he has the tools to be really great. 
But at the same time, if he ends up going to a place that is not the right fit for him, I think he could be a little bit of a disappointment possibly if he's not used the right way and if he doesn't, if he's not developed properly. So I think off the bat, that's what makes this debate and this question so interesting is I could really see a scenario where both of these guys end up being one of the best players in the draft, but a lot of it just has to do with the fact like where they end up going and if that is good for them situation wise or not. Brandon Miller was the best player, probably on the best team in college basketball last year in Alabama. They ended up uh, winning uh, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. They won the SEC regular season title. They win the SEC tournament. But then at the same time, in their Sweet 16 game against San Diego State, he was a no-show. That was an awful performance. And honestly, I think he, I don't want to say him himself cost Alabama the game. Like the whole team didn't play well, but he was not good that night. And I think his performance had a lot to do with why Alabama lost. But at the same time, Body-wise and just skill-wise, he is really what a lot of people in the NBA uh, executive-wise are really looking at. Yeah, and I think um, everybody with Brandon Miller is smartly going to take the totality of what he did in college and not just that one game. Obviously, they're weighing the -the off-the-court stuff, too, which we can discuss in a minute. But, like, from the -the on-the-court stuff, you know, this has been a frustrating thing for me about this conversation already. Like we're recording here, it's not even June yet, and I'm already annoyed by the conversation about, oh, Brandon Miller didn't show up in the tournament. It's like, okay, first of all, he pulled his groin in the first game. Uh, that was the opener. I think they played Corpus Christi. He didn't had 19, score game, right? He, he, yeah, he, I don't think he scored, but then he had 19 in the second round against Maryland. Now it wasn't a super efficient 19, whatever. Uh, and then he struggled against the San Diego State team that, you know, you know, listen, like, like, and this is a conversation that, that like context matters is like, oh, well, you know, I mean, San Diego State, it's like, yeah, they were one of the best defensive teams in college basketball. It was a one and done situation. Loser goes home. And sometimes even great players have bad games. And so just for fun, I went back and looked this up because I wanted to see, okay, is this a byproduct of Brandon Miller being overrated or was it? Great team, great defensive team in San Diego State, veteran team, and oh, by the way, one-and-done single elimination where Brandon Miller was injured. So I went back and looked it up. This is what he did, Zach, during the regular season. 36 points versus Gonzaga. 24 points versus Memphis. 24 points versus Michigan State. 18 points versus the uh, eventual champion UConn. I did not look up every other game and there were certainly games where he struggled. So it's not to say that every game he was dropping, you know, 31 points on, on, you know, 18 of 22 shooting, but I just bring it up to say like, like I do think, listen, every player has some sort of issue. We talked about Victor Wimbanyama last week, who is one of the most touted prospects we've ever seen, but it's not as though he's a perfect prospect either. And so it's not to say Brandon Miller is perfect. It is to say, though, that there is a reason that he is in the conversation as the number two overall player in this draft. Don't take that one game as a byproduct of his whole season. Take it as what it is. It was one really bad game, and guys have bad games all the time. We're we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs. Anthony Davis has had really bad games in these playoffs, and he was still awesome, even though, as we record, the Lakers are eliminated. Jason Tatum has had bad games in these playoffs. He's still really awesome. Uh, LeBron, whoever Jokic has had his moments. So like this notion that the guy is not allowed to have one bad game when he's playing on a bad groin against an elite defensive team. It's just ridiculous. Now I do think, and, and I promise I'll, I'll, I'll end on this note. 
But it's like, if there was a track record of every time they played elite competition, him struggling, that is a different conversation than him struggling in what happened to be the game that everybody was watching because it was late in March during the NCAA tournament. Another thing to that point, I think it's important to remember is a year ago at this time, I don't think anyone was really expecting Brandon Miller to be mm-hmm. not the number two overall pick, but even a top five pick. Like he was, I think, I believe top 15 in his high school class. So he's kind of ascended over the course of the last 12 months you know, in terms of his draft stock and just how he's viewed uh, among the NBA community. And I think there's a reason for that. Like, as you said, all those numbers he put up against really good competition, that definitely stands out. Now, you hinted at this also, uh, the off-the-court issues. We, we all know what happened. We don't have to get into that. But I don't. here's my quick take on it, right? Please. I don't think it's going to affect his draft stock, nor should it. You know, there have been plenty of guys with off-the-court issues in the past, and that was the first time. Like, he hasn't really had anything else on his track record. So I don't think that's really going to affect where he's getting drafted. My worry, though, is mentally. I think in the NCAA tournament, the fact – I know you brought up the injury, and that definitely has something to do with it. But the fact that he didn't score at all in that first game against Corpus Christi, the fact that he was awful in that game against San Diego State, and everyone has a bad game. San Diego State is an elite defensive team. I get it. But I, I mentioned his shots are always in rhythm. Like, he just missed a couple shots in that game that he usually makes th- made throughout the season. And this was – a big talking point going into the NCAA tournament, how the media going into that event, everything is magnified. We all knew going in that not only Miller, but a lot of his teammates and other Alabama players were going to be asked about that situation. And it honestly felt like a little bit of a dark cloud over not only Miller, but the whole Alabama team entering the big dance. And I don't know if that's going to continue into the NBA, but one thing I kind of worry about is just like mentally, is this guy going to be able to kind of just take in everything that happened and realize like people's opinions of him might not be the same as they once were. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's fair, but at the end of the day, it is a reality. And I think it's something that teams that are about to draft him might have to consider. There's no doubt. And you know, it's, it's funny, like there's been differing reports just in the last couple of weeks since the draft process really ramped up about, you know, I saw Woj say that, you know, he kind of checked all the boxes at these these meeting greets and everything in Chicago. But then I also saw, I think it was Gavoni said something to the effect of, you know, he came in a little bit out of shape. And, and my sense was out of shape was actually like not overweight, but maybe underweight, maybe not as physically impressive as people were expecting. But listen, you know, first of all, the off the court stuff, it is this is why NBA teams spend two, three, four years figuring you out. You know, I mean, the, these high school all-American games, McDonald's All-American game, the Pangos All-American camp every summer. Uh, they're flooded with NBA people because they're trying to gather as much information as they can. Uh, by all accounts, he's a good kid. Um, I have talked to people that know him way better than I do, and they've all said, good family, this felt out of character. I'm not here to say what he did was right or he didn't do anything wrong or whatever. The legal system will play itself out, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that by the end of the year, it weighed on everybody that the situation weighed on everybody, uh, including Brandon Miller. And to be clear, we know a young woman lost her life. So if, if it's about getting asked tough questions about basketball, relatively speaking, they got off pretty easy. I guess the only thing I would say is I don't worry about that as much as long as there's not a ton of new information that comes out. The, the court process is playing itself out in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Brandon Miller could potentially be, you know, 3000 miles away from that in Portland, potentially, depending on where he ends up. So like, I'm not as worried about that as you might be. Uh, I guess the only thing would be is 
if if something else comes out during the legal process, and then obviously if something comes out during the background checks, which which I would think would probably be reflected on NBA draft night, where if all of a sudden a week before the draft we hear Brandon Miller's falling or we hear we hear teams are concerned and all of a sudden it's draft night and the sixth pick is going on and he's still on the board, then I think it might be safe to assume that something maybe has come out that we're not aware of. So, you know, I, I think in the moment it absolutely wore on that team and I get why it would. Again, relatively speaking, um, I, I you know, that that I don't have sympathy for Alabama, but I get why uh, that whole situation would weigh on them. But I don't think that I'm worried about it in the NBA as long as um, you know, as long as as nothing big comes out after you know, as the legal process plays itself out. But it is a it is a dark cloud that's going to be over this kid for at least the next few years. Uh, if nothing else comes out, hopefully everybody moves past it. But we know how things go, so it'll be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah, and one last point I'll say, it all kind of circles around to the start of the conversation. I think this is a big reason why the destination and wherever he goes, that could be key in how his career ends up going. Because if there is another slip up off the court, if we do get more news, I feel like a team with a good culture that already knows how to win with a coach that has been there before, like that could be key. And if things don't go well and things just start falling apart, like you want to be in a good uh, organization that could handle that stuff. So I think... To wrap up the first part of the conversation on Miller, the destination and where he ends up going, that will be a big key for me. But talking a little bit about Scoot Henderson, we spoke a little bit about, to start off, the G League Ignite and just how different today's prospects coming into the draft are compared to yesteryear and the fact that that could make a lot of these NBA GMs and their decisions a little bit harder. So I know a lot of people listening to this show, they are more of the college basketball audience. They've probably heard the name Scoot Henderson before, but there's a good chance you probably haven't seen him play a bunch or know exactly what his game is. So we're going to talk a little bit about that right now. He is a former five-star recruit. He was very highly regarded out of high school. And one thing I've really noticed watching him is he's very confident on the floor. He's very fun to watch and he's not really afraid of anything, which is a great, great sign for a guy that you're going to be taking pretty high in the draft. He's from Marietta, Georgia, pretty big kid, about 6'2", 200 pounds. He's built like a running back, very athletic. I feel like his number one strength is his ability to get to the rim. He is a solid three-point shooter with very good court vision, but I feel like that three-point shot, it's going to have to develop. It's going to get better. That's not the first time we've seen a, a very athletic guard prospect coming into the league that has to work on that jump shot a little bit. But I think of all of the kids in the few years that G League Ignite has existed, Scoot is going to be probably the most highly regarded prospect to come out of that program. I know Jalen Green, he did go number one overall in the draft a few years ago. But even comparing those two guys, Scoot, he has a lot of hype. And uh, he's very highly regarded around the draft conversation. So, AT, when you look at Scoot, when you look at his game, when you watch him, what exactly stood out to you? And what do you think he's going to be like in the league? Yeah, one thing, uh, Jalen Green actually went number two behind our boy Kate Cunningham that year. So it's all good. It's all good. But I think it's interesting because this will be the second time in three years, potentially, that the number two overall pick comes out of the G League Ignite program. So, yeah, I'll be honest. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Scoot in person, certainly not since he joined G League Ignite. So I'm like you. I'm only watching based on film. But like I said, I've tried to talk to people, either played against them, know them, whatever. But the thing that stands out to me, honestly, is exactly what you just said. I mean, one the supreme athleticism, um, elite, 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 um, for, I've seen Russell Westbrook comparisons. Uh, he reminds me of 
like Derrick Rose, but pre-injury Derrick Rose when he was at Memphis. I mean, just next level. And then I will say, I think, I think the thing that does stand out, and this is again, you know, proof that I'm not just a college guy. Like I, I respect what these guys are doing on these alternative routes. It does seem like he has, and I know it's cliche, but like a little bit of that mental toughness killer instinct to him. And, and it was interesting watching the, Highlights of when uh, G League Ignite played Victor Wembanyama's team out of France, and you could tell, like, like Scoop, it seemed as though took those two games personally. Of like, all anyone's saying is that this guy's the best player on the planet, and it, it, he's the no doubt number one. And maybe no, you're not going to pick him over. Maybe you're not going to pick me over him. But I'm going to make you give you reason to think, and I'm going to show you that I'm a legitimate NBA prospect as well. So, uh, on the positive side, that is absolutely what stands out: is that you know he looks like a pro, he carries himself like a pro, he's got a physically mature body for a guy uh, his age, and I think that's an important thing to note: is he's a pretty young guy for uh, you know for for draft circles. He'll be one of the younger guys in this draft. I looked it up. He's about probably a year and a half younger than Brandon Miller, which I think is part of the conversation as well. Brandon Miller's old for, for his, his age group and his class. So, um, so that's what stands out is that the physical maturity, but also he does carry himself like a dude that, um, you know, believes he's the best player on the floor is fearless. And by the way, that's what you want to see, right? You know, you, you, you take a 17 year old out of a high school setting to be a professional, you want to see him act like a professional. And so I think that is a good thing. I think that's a positive thing. And I think it goes without saying, like you're going to get not only a literal professional uh, when you draft him, but it appears as though a metaphorical guy that carries himself like a professional too. And by the way, that's not to say that Miller or Wen Banyama doesn't, but that's something that stands out just kind of watching and reading a little bit. Another interesting fact that I didn't point out when introducing him is he played two years of G League. He yep. came into the program as a 17-year-old, and he played right off the bat. Like, that's got to be pretty crazy. You're coming into G League Ignite as a 17-year-old, and right off the bat, you're playing against 35-year-old grown men. And I feel like now, like, or this past season watching him, he was a little bit more aggressive. You could tell that he found his voice, being a little bit more of a leader uh, for that G League Ignite team. So I think the age uh, comparison you made as well, comparing him to Miller, like, that's definitely something – these teams are going to look at but this is no my question for the charlotte hornets right when you look at scoot henderson there is no doubt that he is a worthy number two overall pick however i think he's a guy that might need to have the ball in his hands a little bit to succeed and the hornets already have that guy in lamella ball and this is where i think their decision could get pretty complicated the fact that okay you might think that scoot henderson is the second best player in this draft, and he'd be a guy that's great with your team. But we know the game of basketball, it's all about fit. Can those two guys fit and work together? Where if you look at Brandon Miller, he's a little bit more of a natural fit on the wing next to LaMelo, a guy that could shoot it a little bit uh, and, and that fits their positional need. And this is what makes the draft so hard. I don't think there's really a chance that the Hornets trade the number two pick, but how does that factor go into their decision-making? Well, and I'm so glad you brought, you took it in this direction because I think it, it, it leads to the final conversation that we need to have. I think they're both great prospects. Um, but I think there's a difference between left and who is the player that makes the most sense for a given team. You know, we see this in the NFL all the time. Sometimes a team has the first or second pick, but they're set at the quarterback position. So they trade back because they just say, you know what? We're good. You know, the Chicago Bears this year, right? Like, like, if they deem Bryce Young to be the best player in the draft, it's not really a position of need and they decide to draft back or, or move back. And so to your point, I don't think they're trading this pick. There's no indication that they will. 
But I'm with you is that one, I I think in terms of absolute upside, if everything clicks, I I think there's like three factors. One, if everything clicks, I don't think there's much difference. I think they're both guys that are routine all-stars, right? But two, on top of that, there is the positional fit. There is how, how a guy plays with, uh, with the guys that you already have. And LaMelo ball is the cornerstone of that team. He's obviously not going anywhere. And so, I'm with you is that if there, if we deemed, and I'm sure that you, depending on who you ask, they would disagree, but most people seem to think that there's not that much of a difference in terms of the upside with Brandon Miller versus Scoot Henderson. And so now you're talking about positional need for the team. And you you also brought up an important point, Zach is like, there is everybody in the league right now is trying to get these wing players, six, seven, six, eight, put the ball on the floor, can shoot from three, all that good stuff. And again, you look at this NBA playoffs, who is Jimmy Butler? Who is Jason Tatum? Um, you know, Jamal Murray's maybe not the perfect example, but he's six, four, six, five can put the ball in the basket. And so I, I certainly wouldn't compare Jamal Murray to Brandon Miller, but Jimmy Butler feels pretty applicable. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard, when he was healthy, is applicable. Certainly, kept, So you go on and on down the list. This, these are the guys that the NBA is looking for. And so, yes, if you're starting from scratch, if you have nobody, then I think it's a completely different conversation. But I think if you're the Charlotte Hornets, I'd probably be banging on the table. Now, assuming, again, that you don't find anything negative extremely negative outside of what we already know about Brandon Miller. I'll be honest. I'd be probably banging the table. Like this guy makes sense for us and what we are trying to do. And so that's why the draft order is always important. Team needs are always important. And it's why I don't envy the guys that do the mock drafts because it becomes a question of uh best player versus best fit versus organization. To me, again, assuming there's nothing super negative uh, off the court. And right now there's no indication that there is. Brandon Miller would be the guy that I would be. I think he makes the most sense for Charlotte at number two. He'd probably be the guy that I would be leaning if I was making the decisions there. So everything you said makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, I agree, like positional fit wise, like he is the guy. My only thing here, and this, I totally agree with your point. Like, I'm just very happy. We're not the ones that are having to make these very difficult decisions, but I'm going to be honest. Like I think Miller has somewhat of a high bust potential. I'm not calling him. I, I just think, man, like, Watching him in the NCAA tournament, and I'm not the guy. You're one of those guys. You're one of those guys. Oh, my God. He played one bad game against Keyshawn Johnson. No, continue. I'm giving you a hard time. I just think, man, like mentally, I'm not a 1,000% sure that he's going to be able to be the same guy that we saw for the first few months of the season, and you listed off all those great games. And I'm not trying to overreact to a couple bad NCAA tournament games, but, man, those shots against San Diego State in a big game, he was wide open and something was clearly off. And this is going to sound like, I don't know if this is an appropriate comparison, but like Deshaun Watson in the NFL, right? We know what happened to him off the field. And I think mentally, like that really affected him. I think everyone else's perception of him off the field, he literally went from a guy at Clemson that was known to be one of the best college football players ever, a guy everyone liked, a guy that never had any character issues, and we know what he did off the field. And we saw immediately this past season, he was not the same guy with the Cleveland Browns. And honestly, I cannot confidently say that he is going to be the same player ever again. Like, I I can't confidently say that we're going to see that same guy based on everything off the field. I think that could have just taken a really big hit uh, inside of him. And I don't know if we're going to see that same guy again. And when you look at Brandon Miller, 
everything just happened so quickly. We know everyone's reaction towards him. There were a lot of people that were saying he shouldn't play again for the rest of the season. He was still back out there on the court and it clearly affected him and it might affect him in the NBA also. And I just think his bad games, like they were pretty bad. And the fact that he might go to the Charlotte Hornets, a team that, you know, since Michael Jordan bought the team 20 years ago, they haven't really done much winning. It's a little concerning for me. Let me let me play devil's advocate. Um, bad NCAA tournament, okay. But he scored 41 points against South Carolina on February 22nd. He scored 24 points against Arkansas on February 25th. He scored 20 points against Missouri in the SEC semifinals on March 11th. And he, he scored 23 against Texas A&M on March 12th, although he statistically, like, like shooting wise, it wasn't a great performance for him. So like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think there's any doubt that like, like, look, the, the NBA, the, the NCAA tournament wasn't good. Like I'm not going to argue that it was good, but I think there are mitigating factors and I, I don't think that he played as though it was as big of a distraction as I thought he would. I mean, I remember going into that South Carolina game where exactly what you just said, everyone's saying you got to sit. I mean, I was one. I said, I, I think you got to sit him out until you figure this thing out. Alabama made their decision. And in hindsight, I kind of understand why they did it. There was nothing new to them at that time. But he comes out and scores 41 points against South Carolina the next game. And I get that it was South Carolina and they were terrible and this, that, the other thing. But, like, he did score 41. Like, he did score 24 against Arkansas late in the season uh, at Coleman Coliseum. And so I just don't – like, like if it was one thing where the news came out on, on February whatever and he shot 18% from the field and, and didn't score in double figures in seven out of his final ten games, that would be one thing. But I think everybody, and it's not just you, I think everybody's trying to turn like a three-game sample size into like a 25-game sample size that just doesn't exist. So now I think he could be a bust because he's a little bit older, um, a lot a bit older as a matter of fact. Like I said, you know, he technically could have been in two drafts ago with Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green uh, and certainly probably age appropriately would have been in last year's draft. I looked it up. Uh, he's 10 day. It, Paulo Bancaro is 10 days older than Brandon Miller. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about it. They're basically the exact same age. Uh, there's the, the age factor. Scoot is definitely younger. Um, and then like he's not, it's weird to say, cause if you look him, look at him, he has an athletic frame, but he's not like a crazy, crazy, crazy elite athlete. And if you want to say, that it was San Diego State's athleticism that slowed him down, um, and that you're going to face that kind of level of athleticism every every game in the NBA. Then that I get. So I could actually see him being a bust as well. I just think it's for different. I, I just personally think it's for different reasons than you do. Not saying you're wrong. I just think it's for different reasons. Um, but yeah, no, I I think it'll be fascinating. And then, like I said, it, it comes down to really interesting uh, of fit versus need versus this versus that. Um, and then we haven't even talked about the fact that, oh, by the way, Portland at number three does appear to want to get rid of their picks. So, um, it, th- there could be, there could be a lot of factors at play here, not just, um, you know, not just, uh, who ends up going number two and who ends up going number three. So, yeah, like honestly, I, I think Portland would be a better fit for him than Charlotte, as crazy as that sounds, just because you put him next to a bona fide pro right away, Damian Lillard, assuming he's still going to be there. But yeah, you said it. They might, it's looking like right now they're very likely to trade that pick. One other thing about Miller that I wanted to mention, and we've kind of hinted at this towards the uh, 
throughout the conversation is his body is pretty developed. Like when you have a guy with his frame at six, eight, uh, a really lengthy player that could shoot the basketball, like he, his body is there. Like it's pretty developed. He has a, an NBA body and it is very impressive what he was able to do uh, throughout the regular season to really improve his stock. And the fact that he entered the season as a guy who was, yeah, he was McDonald's All-American, top 15, top 20 recruit. He really was able to play well against the best competition and raise his stock. So I do think he's very worthy of being the number two, number three pick. I just think in terms of like bust potential, which guy would surprise you least to be a bust between these two players? Miller would be the guy I would go with, but it's definitely an interesting conversation. And honestly, man, like the more and more we talk about this, if I'm Charlotte, the more inclined I would be to trade the pick because I don't necessarily know if you could pair Scoot and LaMelo together. This team isn't necessarily that close to winning anything. You could get a lot back for it. Just an idea. I think if I were Charlotte, that would be something I would consider. I'll be honest. I personally have no fundamental issue with that. I I don't, I haven't read anything that makes me believe that they will, but I have no problem with that at all. And it's for all the reasons, you know, they're not a piece away. And I think you can even argue I wouldn't say Portland's like a piece away, but Brandon Miller, you know, you get another good player in free agency. I don't know who it is. Plus Dame Lillard all of a sudden, like, like I think Brandon Miller next year as a rookie, uh, if Dame Lillard, Damian Lillard is healthy, you know, Brandon Miller could average 13 a game and be an impactful player on a team that wins a lot of games. So I don't disagree with you. And, and I, I think there is kind of an argument to be made for Charlotte as well to trade the pick. And it would be interesting. I mean, I think, and it, I think it goes to the other end of the conversation of second best player versus team need at number two is I would assume if somebody's trading up to get to number two, that it would be for Scoot Henderson and they see him as that, that dynamic playmaking guard. Last thing on Scoot that we didn't really talk about. I know we're jumping all over the place. Not a great three point shooter this year, about 32%. I get that. You know, if we're going to criticize Brandon Miller and tear him down, which is totally fair, that's what all the 30 teams are doing behind the scenes right now. Um, we should probably acknowledge that Scoot shot 32% this year. Now, again, young guy versus older competition. People say you can improve your shot in the NBA and you can, but there also is a pretty extensive track record of really athletic guards that can't shoot, uh, really athletic point guards that can't shoot. Uh, and there isn't a great track record of those guys and their teams having a lot of team success. So I think that's something worth noting as well uh, as we look at the positives and negatives of both guys. Absolutely. And I know you made the Derrick Rose comparison. John Morant is another player that comes to mind, like a really athletic guard that went high in the draft. But with those guys, you can at least see like, okay, they have the ability to shoot the ball. And with more time, they're still very young. Like that jump shot, if they're, if they're willing to work on it, like that could be better. And if I was just any team, like, okay, ask me, who's the second best player in the draft? Scoot would probably be the answer that comes to mind for me right away. But as we've mentioned so many times during this conversation, like Charlotte, that just might not be the ideal fit for him with LaMelo. And it is just a very, very complicated situation. And the fact that all this was determined by the draft lottery, of what, like we saw last week, like it is a very difficult job to be an NBA GM. No doubt. And uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because – Obviously, we're recording here, you know, May 24th, I guess, is the date. But I bring it up because it just feels like a lot could change in terms of who has the picks, what the conversation is. Obviously, in theory, something else could come out about Brandon Miller. Not saying it will, Alabama fans, just saying that it could. Um, 
And so it feels like even though we're not that far away from the NBA draft, a lot could change with the number two versus number three and these two players specifically. Absolutely. AT, thank you so much for joining me. I had a great time looking forward to doing this again with some of the other best prospects in this draft class. We got a lot more to do, man. I'm looking forward to it. Have a good day. And uh, like I said, it feels like there's a lot left to be determined with these two guys. Absolutely. We'll talk to you guys soon.